0: find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people how we operate to how we grow our businesses to how we serve our customers together we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long term not just survive
1: You know, I just believe it, you know, more than I ever did, really, that the first question you should ask yourself, you know, when you're looking at growing your business is is why are you growing it? You know, is, is it just because of this expectation from others and this inevitability that, that good businesses have to grow? Because. You know, they, they don't have to grow. I do feel there's an inevitable compromise at a certain size. And, and and maybe it's hard to say what that size is, but I didn't want to make those compromises. You know, I, I really like Michael taking my dog for a walk on the beach, you know, and riding my bike and, and hanging out with, with my kids. And, and that would be really hard if my restaurants were spread across the country. So, um yeah, kept it local and, and focused on being better, not being bigger.
0: This is Mark Rip, founder and managing director of Urban Guild, an independent hospitality group in Bournemouth in the south of England. He's also the creator and host of the amazing hospitality podcast Humans of Hospitality. Mark and I have for a long time wanted to sit down to talk about hospitality and being an independent operator. We start out the conversation by diving into Mark's journey in hospitality and the purpose behind Urban Guild. We also talk about their approach to growth, how to build culture, the impact of the staffing crisis, and how to build a real authentic connection with your local community, and what the future holds for them. Mark also shares some of his personal learnings as a founder and how he stays on top of his game. We also talk about what he learned from interviewing more than 136 people on his podcast over the years. Before you tune in, Please sign up for our weekly newsletter, packed with more Maverick insights, strategies and tools, find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. This conversation will give you a great understanding of the challenges of being an independent operator and it will also give you a lot of optimism for the journey ahead. Enjoy. we are today talking about you know restaurants and hotels and independent business and how you actually on top of that can run a podcast because i'm very impressed uh, with mark uh, crypt as our guest today uh, who's also started a podcast next to running a little hospitality empire on the South coast, because I know what it takes to run a podcast and also know what it takes to run a restaurant empire, smaller, big. It it takes a lot of, a lot of energy. So with that said, I'm really looking forward to our conversation, Mark, and, uh, it's going to be interesting to see where this conversation us because we had a couple of conversation prior to this, but this, this is going to be really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's great to finally be on your podcast. I've, I've listened a few times and uh,
0: yeah, you've always sort of been out there in our
1: symbiotic podcast world. So great to finally have a recorded conversation. Really excited.
0: Yeah, and we have some crossovers as well from, from a guest point of view. I know, I know that as well. Um, and I know and we have similar philosophy about what we would like to see in the hospitality and so on. So let, let's start about that, you know, a bit of an intro to, you know, you, Mark, your journey. Urban Guild and Humans of Hospitality, how did it all come together?
1: So probably, uh, oh, goodness knows, you know, 20-odd years ago now, I suppose, I went traveling the world and spent a couple of years, uh, you know, all through Australia and New Zealand and, and Asia and all over the place. And fundamentally, you know, when I traveled, I really fell in love with with humanity and people and human beings. And I and and probably didn't realize it at the time, but it was probably a start of a destiny that wasn't going to be, you know, sat in an office or working in a bank. Um, it was probably going to be Working with people, and uh, I'm from a tourism town, Bournemouth, on the south coast of England. Uh, and and the more I travelled, the more I was sort of surprised. I suppose that the, 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 you know, the restaurant sector and the hotel sector in Bournemouth was pretty dated. You know, we're only as a town only a couple of hundred years old, but but unlike maybe Bristol and Bath and and London, you know, where there was a really sort of some cool and interesting boutique hotels arriving and some great restaurants you know there wasn't anything in my hometown so having fallen in love with sort of people and humanity and adventure and conversations uh, when I came back to the UK I, I, I worked up in London for about 10 years running health clubs and leisure centers you know, even a golf course for a while but ultimately I wanted to get back to my hometown which is a, a town I'm really proud of it's, it's a lovely place to live we've Flanked on one side by the New Forest, on the other side by the Purbex. You know, we're, we're right by the ocean. We, we've got lots of land around us. So we've got great farmers producing great food. And it just made sense that, you know, I entered the world of, of hospitality. So started off with, with buying a really run-down old, you know, bed and breakfast, super chintzy floral wallpaper and, and wooden clogs on the wall. And, you know, it was pretty horrible. I couldn't really understand why people stayed there. But we bought that and we spent a few years sort of transforming it into this this really sort of funky cocktail bar, bistro, uh, boutique hotel. Um, and, and then, yeah, the, the journey just continued into a couple of other uh, restaurants and a, and a little cafe and a museum and then ultimately uh, a, a podcast where I got to chat about, uh, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. And I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on a few of those topics today.
0: Uh, and if you have to define that, you know, that purpose around, I guess there's something around humanity and, and what is it that, you know, make you feel you can bring that alive through hospitality?
1: Yeah, you know, the thing that I'm really passionate about is is for me, you know, hospitality almost as a, as a reflex rather than a, as a commodity. I get a little bit frustrated by what people you know call hospitality and the, and the domination in the world of hospitality of big brands and, and big business because for me you know hospitality is what you do when uh, you know somebody comes to your house and you say look can i get you a, a you know a cup of tea or a beer or you know i'm going to cook you a barbecue in the garden um and and you can definitely turn that into a business but i think once it becomes you know multiple venues multiple sites very formulaic then I get a little bit upset. So, but you know, in in my hometown, you know, starting off with the small hotel, it was just about trying to find interesting people who who wanted to spend a few days in the town would come in, and we would just be, you know, just be really honest, really authentic, you know, really genuine kind of conversation, creating the sort of place that I wanted to stay in with the sort of food that I'd want to eat and and that authenticity of hospitality has enabled me to grow from you know one venue to, to five venues at one point you know we've taken the revenue from from zero to about five million pounds we, we employ 130 people but we were never going to make it so big you know I, and, and we discussed it a number of times you know when you're in that period of growth and success you wonder um is is there almost an inevitability of, of, of you know more venues and spreading around the country but but we discussed it as a, as a management team quite seriously and just said you know what you know, let's do less better rather than more worse. So, yeah, I, I love the genuine side of the hospitality business, but um, but less so the formulaic side.
0: And uh, what do you think that made you so unique then as you were creating, you know, your your venture and, uh, you know, scaling up in, in Bournemouth? So if maybe not national, you were still scaling the business locally. What made you so unique and what made it work?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a funny thing, unique, isn't it? You know, people people often say, you know, how you know, why are you good at hospitality? You know, how come you do this? And I'm always like, Look, I, I've I've eaten and drunk and slept, you know, as far as I'm aware, since birth. So it's a funny thing to specialise in, isn't it? You know? And and it's a tough industry to 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 be unique in because you know no, no you know everybody thinks they can make an amazing lunch or an amazing dinner you know what what's tricky is how you scale that up to serve you know thousands if not tens of thousands of people per week and, and how you how you look after different people with with different desires and whether they're families or couples and whether they're celebrating anniversaries or birthdays you know or, or wakes or whatever their reason is for, for to visit you know it really is an art the, the you know at what level is the music what type of music how does the lighting look you know what's the customer journey from the website to arrival you know to check in at the hotel and and actually restaurants are are relatively easy because you've only got to manage somebody's expectations for a couple of hours whilst they're visiting but hotels become increasingly more challenging the longer somebody stays because you know first first day maybe first two days really excited to be somewhere different but actually it's really hard to get a better night's sleep in somebody else's bed than it is your own bed you know it's, it's quite hard to make cleaning your teeth you know more exciting in a hotel than it is in the convenience of your own home um so you know the the uniqueness is is you know it's not it's not unique it is it is genuine it's passionate it's 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 an open book you know we're we're very open with with what we do we've we probably just built a relationship with the customers you know almost one person at a time in those first few years you know i was obsessed about taking this building and i you know i managed every check in and every check out and i answered every single phone call i had 5 days off in those first 2 years and i just lived and i breathed that building and and i would say to my wife who would you know then you know uh, fiance you know i I would be obsessive about staying open in the bar till 11 o'clock every evening even on those evenings where it was pouring with rain and i might not have seen a customer for two hours in those very early days and i'd say look if one customer comes and i'm not there and i'm not offering a warm welcome and i'm not offering customer service they won't come back so i have to stay you know front of house i have to be out there i have to welcome every single person and i'd almost apologetic in the early days because the business and the hotel wasn't as i wanted to be but i'd welcome people in and i'd say look i'm really sorry you know, I'm a, I don't have loads of money, but we've bought this rundown old building and we're going to turn it into this amazing business. And, and you know, here's the statement of intent of what it will be. But you're coming in quite early on this journey of what we're going to create. And, and people just loved that openness and that authenticity. And I think people want to support an underdog. But here we are 17 years later, and, and there's a real sense of community around what we do and, and maybe it's because we you know we work with local schools and we work with local community groups we have cold water swimming groups that go out from our restaurant on the seafront you know we run yoga classes and fitness classes on the beach and we're very fortunate to have become part of the local community and, and they're very supportive of that but I've but I've never taken that for granted you know I still don't take it for granted I still wake up grateful every single day that people love to come into our businesses so yeah I think it's less about being unique in less authenticity you know is unique and, and we've certainly always cared about you know where we source our food and seasonality and proper cooked food and uh you know chefs that, that don't just you know pop things in the microwave or pop things in the fryer and actually trying to do food on a seafront in a tourism town which is a very seasonal and and has to scale massively it's really hard to do good food in that situation but but we've always been willing to put the work in and, and obsess about the tiny details but uh yeah you might have to ask my customers i suppose what what, what they find unique because fundamentally i think look we sell food drink and sleep and lots of people do that
0: and and you you mentioned that thing but i I grasped that thing around that you're building this relationship with the community and and both you know the people that comes and, and stay with you but also the people that is locally all year around you because i know you you said your seasonal business but how do you build that relationship because that's what you know many businesses dream of having that relationship with their near community because then they know Whatever happens, I always have my super fans that comes and support me, and and the pandemic had probably been a, a very good example of that, where you know the the businesses that had their raving fans that stood with them in thick and thin really felt that that was the the defining factor.
1: That, I mean, it, it, really humbling, you know, in COVID when your customers come in, you know, I remember one of my you know very good customers, chap called Alan uh, Hurt, who comes in, you know two or three times uh, a week probably at its peak times in, in the year and uh, you know he came up to me and he offered to lend me £5,000 just and he said look I don't mind when you give it back you know I, I'm not wealthy enough to give it to you but I'll happily lend it to you and just pay me back when you can but the number of customers you know sort of telling us to do crowdfunding uh, kind of uh, you know opportunities I suppose and and, and the, the outpouring and you kind of think your customers like you because there's plenty of competition. You know, there's there's probably a good two or three hundred restaurants and bars and stuff locally, so they can go anywhere they like. So you presume that they like you. But yeah, very very humbling when you nearly lose it all, and when people see that genuine, you know, distress, and, and because we're very open. You know, I was pretty open about what, what was happening. And because we're quite well known locally, we'd get a lot of the, you know, local TV or local radio would come in and chat to us. And, I, and I'm an open book. I would just say to people, yeah, you know, this is, this is pretty catastrophic. You know, in the early days when, when COVID hit, you know, we, we probably had about 10 days worth of money left. And the biggest emotion for me was actually, you know, employing 130 people. And, and you know that all of those people have got, you know, families and kids. And you think, goodness me, you know, this isn't, this isn't about, it is very much about a business I've spent 15, 16 years building. And losing it but at the same time you know how are these guys going to pay their their rent how are they going to look after their kids so when you see the community step in very humbling as to how we built that community again i think it was just you know consistency of of message and and that message was you know back to what i said it was one of authenticity it was just really telling people the truth as you as you went on that journey, as we were reinvesting their money back into the business over time and, and probably even getting them involved in you know decisions we were making as to as to what was you know what was going to come next or where should we spend the cash so yeah, fortunately, the vast majority of people seem to have really come with us and, and and you know the power of social media to you know to, to get that consistent and instantaneous feedback you know with twitter and facebook and instagram you, you know, if anything you 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 know you're constantly barraged by what your customers think of you so it's it's really easy to get their opinion albeit you know you get the gobby people you either get the one stars or the five stars you don't get many in between is it the raving fans tell you they love you and then there's a lot of annoying people who give you a one star for you know, no, no, no decent reason, but that's a whole other story. Don't get me started on TripAdvisor, Michael. I'll, my blood pressure will go too high.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, we can't have that. I don't want to have the guild of you, uh, you falling over here on on the show. But I want actually to touch you. You mentioned social media, and then I think we just need to jump back, and then I will come back to the growth question you talked about as well. You thought, you launched a podcast, and you've done about 136 episodes of Humans of Hospitality, one uh, a podcast I've been listening listening to myself and share with, with my uh, community through our newsletter as well. There's some great conversation in there uh, really to learn from. And they, it's, it's more than just about restaurant and hospitality. It's about, you know, where our food comes from and, on. and where did that come from? And how did that fit in with running the business? Because you have enough on your plates running a, a business with 130 people.
1: Yeah, well, you and I both know that it's a time-consuming process, uh, running a podcast. So, you know, hats off to you for keeping this one going for so long as well. Um, I think the the fundamental motivation came from the fact that I was having a lot of interesting conversations with suppliers or with other restaurateurs, or I was reading a lot of interesting articles. And and I'm I'm fundamentally, you know, nosy, but more than nosy, I'm I'm insatiably curious. You know, I, I love learning. And actually, I think we have a responsibility in the same way as when I get on an aeroplane, I expect the pilot to know quite a lot about how to fly that plane. You know, I, I think we have a responsibility to understand so much more about hospitality than, than people would probably think about when they think of our sector. And, and, and with that, probably, I mean, you know, where does our food come from? But not only where does it come from, you know, how, how has it grown? And, and the more questions I was asking of suppliers, so, you know, if you, if you take the early days of fish you know probably eight or nine years ago we were looking into the overfishing of the oceans and, and we sponsored a showing of a movie by claire lewis i forget the name of the movie now but we showed it in our in our restaurants and she came down and did a talk and as i learned more and more you know i, I felt this moral obligation to, to try and walk the tightrope. you know it, it was no good just saying that we use you know low energy light bulbs and we've got you know coffee machines that remember when we're busy and when we're quiet but every time i dived into a topic and went down the rabbit hole, you know, ignorance is genuinely bliss because the more I learned, the more interesting it was, but also the more complicated running the business got. And actually a podcast is a brilliant door opener as you all know, you know? So, So in some ways I just wanted to learn about you know, farming and about, you know, uh, plant-based diets and meat-based diets and the best way of looking after animals or the best ways of looking after the lands and, you know, is, orga- is organic, you know, the best thing to do, uh, all this kind of stuff. But also there were some quite insp- inspiring people that I love in the sector. So if you think of the likes of, you know, Robin Hudson, for example, from The Pig or or Michelle Roux from a from a chef perspective or, um, you know, Will Beckett at Hawksmoor, they were all these amazing people, you know, Mitch Tonks from Rockfish that I really wanted to have a conversation with. And, uh, and, you know, there's no way you could just phone them up and go, hey, any chance I could just come and pick your brains for an hour and a half because I love hospitality. But as soon as you phone them up and say, hey, I've got this, you know, amazing podcast and here's, you know, it, it snowballs, as you will know, once you've got, you know, 10, 12 interesting people on board, you can say, look, these people have always said already said yes. They've really enjoyed the process and the journey. They'll happily give me a reference. Any chance I could come in and have a chat? And, and nine times out of 10, they'd say yes. And what an amazing privilege it is to then get to sit down in front of your heroes and, and interview them for an hour, an hour and a half. The difficulty is, you know, you've got all of the research, as you know, that goes in, you know, beforehand. You've got the recording of the interview itself. You've then got to listen back to it. You've got to edit it. You've then got to, you know, upload it. And then you've got to do the promotion of it. And that's incredibly time consuming. And it got to the point where, much as I was, finding the conversations fascinating, you know, it was probably taking a day and a half of my week. And actually in COVID, which is when I recorded a lot of the episodes, that was okay. But when it got to the point that I needed to reopen my businesses and really focus on, on rebuilding the business, I thought, you know what, I'm going to pause this. And in my head, it's still paused, but I don't have a a relaunch date yet albeit i i I see things or read things i was up at the um, hotel restaurant catering show in london last week and i went to a few of the seminars and a few of the talks and you know i was itching to go up to the people that i'd seen present and say hey do you want to come on a podcast because i'd love to explore that further but i managed to control myself michael and remember that i'm supposed to be saying you know sometimes what you say no to is more important than what you say yes to
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's very, very important have stopped doing lists instead of to do lists is actually more important in life and business. Yeah, it's
1: very true, but it takes a long time to learn that.
0: Yeah, but I I, I hope you uh, at some point that the pause stops again and and you can uh, fill out the void of uh, what your podcast bring, really inspiring stories, especially around uh, as our shared thing around you know it's not just about hospitality it's also about the food we eat and where it comes from and we really need to as hospitality play a role in giving people the understanding that food is a complex thing and we cannot just expect it to be around well
1: that's what's so interesting isn't it is is the the number of people that are behind the scenes you know i often say to my team when i'm training them you know when they're new recruits and i say look you've got to realize how many people are behind you know just one dish if, if you just look at a beef burger then you know you've got to imagine yes there's a there's a beef farmer you know there's a potato farmer but you know take the baker take the baker who's never taken his kids to school because every day he gets up at three o'clock and he's baking his bread by four o'clock and he delivers it fresh to the restaurant you know that's an incredible compromise that he's got to make but then you you know think of the coffee beans that are being dried out in the sun in you know in, in another country thousands of miles away and then they're you know they're being hand-picked to get rid of the rubbish beans and then they're being shipped over here and they're being roasted to different temperatures by you know different people and then they're you know they're sent to the to the venue and then you know the barista behind the bar is then is they making that coffee and then by the time it gets to the waiter or the waitress you know they spill it down the side of the cup and there's a little bit of soggy sugar in the saucer and it makes me cry because I'm like look how many human beings have been behind the journey of just this one drink and then the customer gets to sit there and often for you know round about three quid they get to have this this beautiful cup that might have had you know 25 humans have touched it on its way and you're like that is such a an exciting privilege and that's just coffee michael you know you can you can do that for every single one of our ingredients there's somebody passionate about a certain booze or a chocolate or a type of flour that they use in a pizza or or, the, or or cheeses or, you know, it's just such an incredible, incredible industry to have so many. And that's why it was called the Humans of Hospitality, because it's about these amazing human beings that, that might never, ever get to the customer. You know, I'd meet people uh, who, were, who were obsessed about, you know, what, what what the buffalo were eating to make the best buffalo mozzarella. And they were changing the diet and, and the type of grass that that buffalo ate. Because ultimately, that would have an impact on what the customer in the restaurant, that sort of stuff blew my mind, Michael.
0: Yeah, and it's so interesting um, because um, I was in in a kitchen in London yesterday, like a startup kitchen, and you were walking around and the, the guys i was working with we were, were doing our thing you were listening to these people i was extremely passionate about easter type of food some of them made dough bowls with cheese in brazilian dough bowls there was you know people cooking poles those people doing some catering and they all you could just feel these people as early stage of their business how passionate they were for those things and the company Complexity of what they were trying to do. And it sounds so simple to make some cheese balls, but these were not any kind of cheese balls. There was like special cheese. And and I really love that as well because I think that's also the story we need to go out and tell the the end consumer that you know that's that's that it's a complex product you're getting, actually. It's
1: not the same everywhere, you know? It's not what you're getting in a massive chain restaurant with a centralized kitchen where you just tear open the packet and 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 the compromises that are made of that quality of food, you know, and of those chickens being imported from from Poland Poland or the or, you know the beef from South America. It's like if you go to proper restaurants, you know, and ideally for me, independent restaurants, then, then those, you know, those chefs will know their they'll know their suppliers, you know, they'll know the farmer by name. They'll know their 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 egg supplier. Um, you know, you're not going to get these issues. You know, when there was porse found in Lasagna and all these, you know, ridiculous things that happened. You're like, how is how is this even possible? You know, we should get back to the fact that you know we have an amazing privilege to represent all of these amazing farmers and producers and people. So you know, go out and support those businesses. So you know, the, the reason for the podcast and it's great that you have these conversations as well is let's educate people, let's get them to make an informed decision and realize that you know if you if you're going down the high street and on the right hand side is some. You know just just corporate sh- chain monstrosity that doesn't care and that's not always the case some of the chains do care but some don't but on the other side of the road is this amazingly passionate independent go in and support them because you know otherwise that link to our, f- our food will be lost even more than it is and it's already pretty poor
0: yeah yeah and it's, it's really like one of the the challenges we see now with the supply chain also comes with our disconnect with food and and the land uh, but that's a totally different conversation. I want to come back to the growth question, because you said very early on, you decided that you had wanted to stay around locally, and, and I've talked with many other business owners that make those decisions, but often you want to grow a business, it's all about the growth, and it's all about what you can achieve, and then you become the many end up on a you know a journey of cookie cutting their, their business and some has been very successful and others have not been so successful so well, what was it that made you so strongly make that decision because it's because you were successful and then you would think why don't you just want to make a hundred of this and then check out
1: yeah yeah and, and and i'd constantly get asked that and i remember having you know one day in particular where we were looking at some of our local competitors and uh, and they were on a growth trajectory and they'd had some venture capitalist money and you know they were talking about getting up to, to 30 sites or whatever they were doing and, and we really questioned ourselves and said look we're good at this you know we love it we're good at it you know, we should just do more, but I couldn't help feel that, you know, where, where does that pressure come from? Where is this inevitability of growth? You know, why do we put so much pressure on ourselves that as soon as you've got a successful formula, you, you have to do more? And although it was tricky at the time and maybe, you know, some of the, the decisions were sort of 50-50 as to whether we should or whether we shouldn't. And, and I suppose some of it is that, you know, we'd have had to get investors and backers in and that looked like a load of grief. But as, I, as I've got older and as I've got further into it and as I've had more conversations with passionate people, you know, I just believe it, you know, more than I ever did really that the, the first question you should ask yourself, you know, when you're looking at growing your business is is why are you growing it? You know, is is it just because of this expectation from others and this inevitability that, that good businesses have to grow because, you know, they, they don't have to grow. And actually... You know, I respect certain... You know, I mentioned, I mentioned Will at, at Horsemore, for example, and I think that's pretty fascinating because although they're growing... You know, there's never going to be a Hawksmoor like there is a Weatherspoons. You know, there's never going to be one or two or five in every town across the country. They'll pick some big cities, and actually, I really respect that and and the level that they can go in and the and the links that they can make with, you know, their supply chain and the quality of chefs and stuff. So, so on that side, it's it's fascinating, and and maybe the guys behind Honest Burgers, you know, but I think they they are probably struggling a little bit more with that. That cookie cutter growth—they're—they're very conscious of it, and they're working really hard to try and avoid it. But they're—they're—they're walking the line much closer, I suppose, than 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 will. But for me personally, yeah, you know, I could—I could never be more uh, convinced and adamant that the right thing to do, because because I do feel there's an inevitable compromise at a certain size, and 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 maybe it's hard to say what that size is. but I didn't want to make those compromises, you know. I I really like Michael taking my dog for a walk on the beach, you know, and riding my bike and, and hanging out with my, with my kids, and, and that would be really hard if my restaurants were spread across the country. So um, yeah, kept kept it local and, and focused on being better, and not being bigger.
0: Yeah, and I think also it's really interesting. Have had a lot of conversation around growth. i been really interesting in that question because I've you know failed in that journey myself as well. Is that it's not just about you know growing the the top line or the bottom line. It's also can you actually make you know better impact in the community? Can you create better jobs? Can you create better food in your restaurant? And actually is that success as well? It is. It's a massive success. But we forgot that. It's been all about you know these you know growing creating the next Starbucks or McDonald's, and maybe there's a reason why there's not so many of them in the world because it's bloody hard and you have to compromise a lot to get there and that's maybe not your initial idea and purpose when you set out doing this
1: yeah no i think you're right but i you know i'm really excited you know you know this one of my venues is actually for sale at the moment my hotel and actually you know part of the reason for that is just to reduce complexity it's it's not to um you know to get out of of hospitality and and a business that i love but it is to to free up as much of my headspace as possible to just focus on you know a couple of the the key businesses and the opportunities that present, and and the noise and the distraction and the opportunity cost of spreading yourself too thin, you know I absolutely get it for some people, and 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 I'm really pleased for them, and I hope they're enjoying their journey. Um, but I would just say, look, yeah, just ask yourself why. Do do not be do not do not give in to the peer pressure and the inevitability of growth you can run a beautiful hospitality business you know you can make a very good living you know think about how how much is enough um yeah don't don't do it for the sake of doing it or because that is that is national expectation
0: yeah and uh, the thing is the the outside pressures you talk about as well that you know if you're successful you just have to grow and scale um Another thing I wanted to talk to you a bit about, and that's very closely connected with growth, I think, and what your opportunities are, is culture. And we really see that now, right now. That if you have a strong culture, you are probably in a better position for for the staffing situation or the staffing crisis. How have you how have you dealt with that over the seventeen years building your your culture and you know doing that? Because again, you know, I believe that if you have a great culture, you also have a great relationship with your customers.
1: Yeah. So. You're absolutely right, and again, I don't think you know that this is. But going, you know, what what's unique about your business is kind of you know what what's unique about your culture. It, it comes back to that that sort of integrity, and and I think your external communication. You know, there's there's no point going to your customers, hey, we're this amazing business. We care about you know animals. We care about where your food comes from. We care about seasonality. We care about you. We care about community, and then not looking after your your team. You know, fundamentally, if you're a, if you're a good business and you're a good human. And and good humans often work in hospitality, and they have that hospitality reflex of that desire to look after people. You should have that with your team as well as your customers, really. And and I, I fail to understand how you can have a genuinely authentic hospitality business that doesn't look after your staff. It's like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's it's like somebody who's obsessed with, you know, selling meat that also has a vegetarian section. It's kind of like I don't know. I think you've got to be you've got to choose your choose your thing and 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 do one and and if you really genuinely you know love uh, animals and animal welfare, and that's your thing. You're unlikely to open a steak restaurant, and if you genuinely love hospitality and you look after people, then you should. There's, I just it's incomprehensible to me how you could not look after those people well. So I've got people in the business that have worked for me, you know, since I opened it, sort of 17 years ago, which is which is fantastic. Having said that, you know, not everybody's a fit, not everybody's a match. It's but you you have to understand that you have to go look. You're only as good as your worst member of the team, and sometimes you have to make tough decisions. So there will there will definitely be people out there who says, you know. And Mark's talking absolute garbage, you know, he's not he's not a great employer. He didn't look after me, but I would on the flip side say, look, you know, if you don't fit, my I have to look after the business and the team as a whole. And that my team can only really perform if everybody's on the same page and everybody shares an ethos and the, and the ethos of our of our business. You know, we we have a hug club. Our loyalty card is called the hug club and it's about, you know, give a hug, get a hug. The better you look after people, the better those people will look after you in the same way that a smile is Contagious. So, so people who fit with this this obsession for customer service and for looking after people and this hospitality reflex, they fit in really well with the team. But anybody who's who's you know who who doesn't get the the theatre of hospitality and the fact that you have to put on a big smile on your face and you have to look people in the eye and even if you're having a bad day, you know at home, you know that's fine. You know have a chat with us, and if you need to go home and you need some compassion time, that's no problem. But if you're in service and you're in hospitality, then you have to see it as a theatre performance and you have to put on a big grin and you have to look after people and we all do that. So people that get that and understand it, you know, we look after them really really well. And uh and people that don't, it's kind of like, "Cool, look, you know, go and get a job somewhere else. There's loads of jobs, even if it's, you know, in hospitality. There's loads of other businesses. But if not, there's loads of industries that might be better for you." So sometimes you're doing people a favor by letting them go off and explore other opportunities because they might not be
0: cut out for hospitality.
1: That's quite a long answer, Michael, but fundamentally, it's exactly the same message internally to your team as it is externally to your customer.
0: And you mentioned one of your touch points was your hug club. Is there any other things that you do like practically that is a bit different to, you know, boost your employee experience, as they call it?
1: Yeah, I, it's, it's hard to think of specific. I mean, you know, we, we've certainly tried in the past to have, you know, sort of, you know, nominations and, 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 and staff member of the month and, you know, cinema tickets for certain people and, and gifts. And actually, any time we've tried to make it formulaic, it's it's not really worked. You know, when we've we've tried to you know encourage people to nominate, we, we've tried to force sort of monthly gatherings where we put money in the budget and we were like, right, every month, you know, you can do a party or you can go go karting or you can do this event or that event, and we try and get the team to organise it, and it and it always just felt a little bit forced. But now. You know, our head of hugs, who is the person who was looking after the hug club and the loyalty club, is is, is the same head of hugs who also looks after our team. And we, we'd look for opportunities to praise people. So, you know, it might be that you've just passed your driving test, and if we know that, then we'll make sure that we get you, you know, congratulations. Or if you've if you've just had a child, we you know will try and remember to send you flowers. But you know, the probably the best example is is recently where one of my head chefs you know needed some help with, with immigration. Um, you know, he's a New Zealand guy, and he, he needed to go through a, a journey and a process, and it was two and a half thousand. Pounds for the next stage of his of his uh, application process, you know, and, and he's a really good head chef. He's a really good guy. He's worked for us for a few years, and we just said, look, we'll we'll pay for that for you, and uh, and and kind of like what we want you to do is we want you to stay for the next you know couple of years, like you to stay for for the next decade. But let's say as long as you stay over the next couple of years, you don't have to pay us back. Stay for the next year. You know, we'll go fifty-fifty, and if you leave straight away, you know, pay us back. But but I said, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna write this down. I'm not gonna turn it into a contract. We're not gonna get HR involved. This is just done on a handshake and a bit of eye contact, and and it's treating people. You know like that i think where you, you you know you give them respect it's no good saying that you're going to do that on one side and then tie them up in some legal mumbo jumbo you know if, if it's a genuine two-way relationship and clearly there's a risk to that but i'd like to think that we're just showing that we're, we're decent human beings so yeah we constantly look for ways to help our team if we can you know the flip side being that it has to also be a business you know you, you do you have to be profitable to survive uh, and therefore you can't do everything that your team wanted to do. But but you know, anytime we can, we've got their back.
0: Yes, yeah, we come out of here, the pandemic, you also see the the staffing crisis, Mark has really hit the industry, it was already hard, I would say, prior to the pandemic staffing. Uh, and especially in a seasonal business like yours, I can imagine, but how has this impacted you? And you know, your business? Have you seen some advantages of really being caring about employees and culture in this?
1: I think if you didn't look after your team in COVID, then, you know, your team left and then you're completely screwed. You know, you, when, when everybody tried to reopen, you could see the businesses that hadn't furloughed, you know, hadn't got everybody on the bus, hadn't looked after people they literally could not open their doors. You know, we, we had to strip down to a very, very core team. It was a much smaller team than we would ideally have. You know, last year, it was heartbreaking, you know, for us, very seasonal business right on the seafront. And even in July and August, we couldn't get back to full opening hours. You know, we were shut on a Monday and Tuesday evening, which seemed ludicrous. You know, that was 16, 17 years of operation, we've, we've never been closed in core season. But the thing is, you know, I've got one team one brigade of of chefs and if I broke that brigade then then that's it I lose the entire season so I, I had to look after them we're now in a period of recruitment again so so you know the core team is good but we always need to add to that every summer I probably need to recruit about 40 people at the moment and if I can't recruit those people then I'm not going to be able to open the venues at the capacity that I want and and customers they're pretty good at understanding it, but but they're not, you know, they're, they're certainly not all of them are. And, and they question, you know, how we can possibly run a, a seasonal business like that and then not open. You know, they want us to be open uh, at those core times. It's, it's too early to tell. It's certainly not easy. It's certainly not like we've put the ads out, started recruiting and we're like, yeah, great. You know, we're going to smash this season. You know, here we go. It looks like it's going to be, as challenging as last year but we're not there yet you know we're, we're we're recruiting or interviewing every day we're trialing we're putting the feelers out what we have done this year is we've bought in the um the service charge and put that on the bills which you know is obviously completely normal everywhere that you go in in london and maybe bristol and bath but it's not historically been the case In Bournemouth, you know, it's very much been discretionary, so your bill doesn't have it on there. We've put that on. We are a couple of very busy venues, and what we're going out, you know, the message is we've been trialing this for about six weeks in one of our restaurants, and it looks like even now in the off season, it's adding about £5 an hour to people's wages. We haven't had a lot of kickback from the customers yet. I'm worried about inflationary pressures the impact of VAT plus the 12.5% service charge albeit that it's discretionary but at the moment you know we're very much using that as a recruitment tool and saying look if you want to work in hospitality you know go somewhere that's got a good trunk system in place and if you can go somewhere that's also exceptionally busy then you can earn good money and, and initial indications are that's very positive but I, I really hope for the sake of the hospitality sector that so many people left and became you know DPD or Amazon delivery drivers or went and got jobs in, in supermarkets or train change sectors. and and I hope that the customer is happy to recognize that you do need to pay service charge in the business now more than ever and that the the team recognize or potential team recognize that actually you can earn decent money in hospitality you know particularly students and, and people in seasonal towns you know it's going to put them on if you think the minimum wage is up to 950 if you add in five or six pounds service so you're up to maybe 15 16 pounds an hour that's a good wage for for you know for, for anybody but certainly a student just looking to top up some cash over the summer so early days michael so again a, a long answer and we'll see how it pans out in the next couple of weeks.
0: What is your besides? I guess recruitment is one of your priorities, and you know, uh, have less complexity was another priority I could hear. But is there other priorities right now you have for for the business as we are going into? We say you know, I guess we still are somehow in the aftermatch of the pandemic, but probably a new phase I could imagine with the summer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it really does feel like a rebuild. I mean, for us, we are very used to now this cycle of,
0: of sort of, you know,
1: almost hibernates and reopen for summer. But we, we, we now have to hibernate much more than we used to, partly because we have a much smaller team, partly because COVID taught us that actually it is okay to close. And actually we worked out at some periods in COVID we were losing less money by being shut than we were by staying open it does make the challenge of of reopening even more difficult so you we've certainly got to navigate recruitment we've got to navigate that complexity but if i look at the sort of hospitality industry as a whole i uh, you know we've got we've got massive price pressures but at the same time as a as a huge you know environmental catastrophe happening on a on a global level and recognizing that, you know, ag- agriculture and food, you know, what we eat is is actually has the biggest impact on the planet, you know, even more so than than transport and travel. And I, I feel, again, going back to that analogy that, you know, of the pilot and saying that we should know about food and drink, we should really understand the impact. And actually, that's really difficult because you, you don't want to kind of uh, patronize or feel like you're lecturing your, your customer, but you really want them to understand that, you know, how important it is to pay a bit more for something a bit better. And certainly, this change around, you know, recognizing, you know, the overconsumption of of meat and dairy, and how do we get more plant-based food on the menu? So, the bigger change, and that's not just for this year, but it feels it feels like to me that we've got this sort of opportunity um, to 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 help educate and to spend some time holding people's hands and, and showing them not just going, you know, to 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 putting, you know, to turning into a, a vegan restaurant, but to say, look. Plant-based food can be amazing. Let us show you. You know, let, Everywhere there was a meat dish on the menu before, there's now also going to be a plant dish. And if we can hold your hand and if we can show you how amazing some of this food can be, and this isn't about buying something that's equally as processed in a factory in the US and then shipped around the world. This is getting the chefs excited about whole foods and plant-based foods and, and holding the customer's hand. So yeah, my biggest challenge at the moment is probably finding chefs that, that share that passion with me and then yeah, educating the, the consumer, because although there's exponential growth probably in, in flexitarianism and plant-based, it's still a tiny proportion. It's, it's huge growth, but still in a tiny percentage. And I didn't come onto this planet to make the world worse. I, you know, I want to leave it at least as good, if not better. So that's something that I'm struggling to navigate at the moment, but but doing my best. And a lot of that probably came off the back of the learnings in the podcast.
0: And it's super interesting because we talked about it before where you're actually taking, you know, it. you've been on a individual journey about eating more plants and now you're trying to find out how you deliver that to the masses in a way because we are, it's difficult to change habits, isn't it? Because it's not just about process and meat, it's about culture, it's about how we connect with food and land and understand the complexity of the, we said it earlier in the conversation about how does this cup of coffee actually land in front of me and what has actually happened to get to there?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's amazing. I mean, if you told me six years ago that that would be the current priority in my business, you know, I would have laughed at you. I think if you told me that I would be following a predominantly plant-based diet, I would probably bet my house on the fact that that was complete nonsense. You know, I used to get quite angry with, uh, vegetarians, you know, being miserable and grumpy and coming into the restaurants and complaining if there wasn't a, a you know a V next to a vegetarian dish, and I'd be like, I don't put an M next to a meat dish or an F next to a fish dish, you know, just read the description and work it out. But actually, you know, my my job is to look over the horizon and to trailblaze and to understand trends and to understand what's coming. And and you know, I, I thought right, I'll try plant based. I could see the trajectory from you know one of three things. Either you've got you know, a human health, you know, there's a nutritional element to what we do. Yes, you can go out and have a treat in a restaurant, but but if people are going to, you're going to be part of the community, and you're going to encourage people to use you, you know, regularly. Surely we have a moral obligation to look at the nutritional uh, quality of our food. Clearly, you've got the environmental impact, you know, on, on, on the planet. And then I think we should have a, you know, something around animal welfare, which probably I didn't appreciate. A few years ago but the only way for me to really understand it was to go on that journey myself and try it and I, I didn't think I'd do it for more than a couple of weeks and here I am sort of three and a half years later and, and that's the key thing isn't it constant learning constant growth constant fascination and now working out okay how do we how do we bring that into the business and take us to the next level like I say ignorance is bliss but once you've got knowledge you can't you can't unlearn something that you've learned and our job is to learn more about our industry than, than anything else
0: Yeah, that's another challenge by doing a podcast, you just find out that you are so much more responsible for doing something about something you get insight into if it's food or leadership, whatever, every time you get a bit smarter, you you are in a way you should go and use that knowledge because you can leave the world in a better place
1: definitely yeah it's such a, it's such an exciting part of life i think isn't it it's, it's growth and i think people who work in in hospitality uh you know tend to be maybe slightly more extrovert slightly more interested slightly more used to having conversations with people and asking questions and if you're asking those questions and, and you're and you're learning you know it's not not to uh to use that knowledge feels like um i don't know in in inhuman or inhumane
0: yeah what, when talking about uh, hospitality and you, you allude a bit to how you see the future, but what is your general like view on hospitality and, and, and the world that's in front of us with all the challenges that this are still here? They're not gone away and there's new ones coming with new, new rising costs, you know. Uh yeah, it's gonna be an interesting quarter because there's so much happening now with VAT going up, it's just a technical thing, but still has a massive impact on business, you know, more can you get the staff you need you know you have the landlords now that has free run as well um what what is uh, what is your view what's going to happen with the landscape
1: so it's, it's a really really that's a big question Michael it's like oh we need a, we need a whole hour to dive into that one um I you know I'm a deluded optimist I don't think you can be self-employed and entrepreneurial and work in hospitality unless you're you're a naturally optimistic person so you know I'm I'm worried about inflation I'm worried about the fact that we can't get team members I'm worried about the impact of VAT and business rates I'm frustrated that national government still doesn't seem to understand despite you know how well represented we were and the voice that we had you know around the table during Covid and some of the support that was in place, but I'm I, I still annoyed by the fact that you know the, the, the hospitality is the happiness barometer for the for the UK. You know, people people have meetings in restaurants. You know, people have meetings in in hotels. People going out and, and looking after their you know their friends or their families, like I say, anniversaries or birthdays or wakes or you know hospitality and spending time with other humans. You know, should be the the entire point and the whole essence of our of our time on planet Earth. And therefore, it should it should be really encouraged. And I, you know, I don't think it's right that the government. Are putting up uh, VAT. I think I think we you know we we employ so many people in this sector and and the implications of of minimum wage and, and pension contributions and national insurance is huge and it, and and if you make us prohibitively expensive so people can't go out and enjoy bars and restaurants and hotels you're fundamentally making the country a worse place but you're also stifling other businesses and other opportunities and and I just find it you know depressing and annoying that we can't get the government to understand that and if they helped hospitality more I absolutely believe it would not only help you know the commerce of, of the country but i just think it would help people feel good and, and we need that you know and despite despite the fact there's going to be inflationary pressures and costs on on uh, on our fuel and on our food and clearly what's going on in ukraine you know if you look after hospitality then that will help people get through these um but on on, on the flip side you know we're normally pretty dynamic we're normally pretty good at finding a way through i, I worry that if it just becomes too expensive and too cost centric that we'll have to start making compromises on some of the gains that we've had around you know fair trade or ethical trade or again where are you know what farmers we're supporting and when our food comes from and and then then the worry is that only the big chains can operate in this market because only they can get the margin and they get that margin by making compromises that the consumer never knows about but if they did know about they probably wouldn't be happy with and if you squeeze out the independent sector because it just becomes prohibitively expensive and you're only left with chains that that don't support the same infrastructure and supply chain that i think is really important then that would be really depressing so yeah these are the things that keep me up at night michael you know these are the things swirling around my head and and i don't know the answers and it's why doing podcasts is great because you get to hear all these different perspectives but um you know i'm i'm excited i'm concerned i'm annoyed i'm optimistic i'm pessimistic all all rolled into uh into one but uh yeah fundamentally what a fascinating six months it's going to be
0: yeah, and you probably describe how many are feeling, uh, business owner people in hospitality. Is that is that you know, the clarity is not there in a way, and we need to just take one step every day forward, and then believe, as you say, in, in what we do is the right thing, and then hope that everything's falling in place and the right people are listening to us. Well, over the last two years, Mark, uh, you must have had some really, like myself, definitely. And I love to answer to ask this question to people on the podcast. Uh, well, you know, what has your most significant learning been? You know, because it's been a journey, you know, in uh, in life and work, and probably not over yet. We're just maybe all a bit tired, but we're still learning. We and you said you love learning. What is the most significant thing, Mark?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a really tough one. That you know, I, I feel like I crammed ten years worth of learning into into two years. You know, I mean, we, we tried to do so much to navigate the pandemic, and you know, we launched uh, home delivery food box businesses and and cocktails by post businesses and valentines boxes you know we tried to do frozen food delivery we did uh you know sort of food collection points we we got into bed more with the likes of Deliveroo and Uber Eats and actually you know through all of those one it taught me that you know we are an incredibly reactive sector you know on on a personal level the business and the team around me you know they are willing to go through an immense amount of change an immense amount of learning very quickly which is really impressive but actually, all of that learning, going through all of that change, and whilst there's been some successes you know, in, in some of these businesses that, that have put in these kind of systems, I think most of them haven't worked. And actually, what it taught me is, you know, just remember what you're really, really good at. You know, bringing people into a restaurant and giving them great hospitality and great food and great service is an absolute privilege and joy and taking food to people's house and delivering it with a delivery driver is much more complicated you know if you want to serve a thousand people in a restaurant in a day that is that is possible and it can be fun and energized and vibrant and energetic but but stuffing food in a thousand boxes and sticking it in a in a postal van is a whole other level of of complexity so really what we learn is to is to focus on what we're good at you know focus on the core aspects of running bars running restaurants we've actually just got rid of a lot of noise and a lot of complexity and a lot of the things we were doing you know we we were building our own space where we were going to have our own butchers and our own uh, our own bakers, and we were launching these sort of monthly hampers for our loyalty customers, and making our our hug club loyalty card had three different tiers, uh, and and we just had a lot of a lot of complexity and noise, and we've just stripped it all back and gone. You know what? We're just going to look after you really well. You know, come to our restaurants and uh, and walk in the door, or book a table or the bar or the hotel, and, and we will give you genuine hospitality. So, I'm I'm as excited as I was by by that chaos and that change and throwing all the balls in the air and fighting for survival, which was a real buzz and a real energy and I I don't know if it's just because I'm knackered and actually I need a a, you know an extended period of downtime to recover from that but I don't think it is I think it's just that I, I, I love all the things that we got into the business for originally you know I love the smell of fresh coffee I love the clinking glasses I love hearing the volume of the music at just the right level and and adjusting it over the course of the night so you can hear the the banter and the chat and the conversation of people you know that's what I loved and and everything else just became an
0: unnecessary noise so super interesting, super interesting, because I guess there's a lot of people that have done all these things and a bit in the where should we go now? What is the should I stop doing something? Should I start doing more? Uh, Because again, the more complexity and layer you put in harder is to make it work, and make it very special, because you, you can have too many touch points around your business. Um, on your journey, Mark, is there some people that has been really influential to you i guess there always is but like somewhere you say that they really pivot my my understanding of it as a human being and, and business owner as well
1: yeah it's interesting isn't it because you, you've probably got personal and you've got business so you know certainly from a from a hospitality perspective you know the the likes of danny meyer um you know he i think he's really really good you know his book i've just found the, the name escapes you setting the table i think it's called isn't it you know when i what, yeah what, a, what an amazing book that is and an insight into sort of you know the, the human aspect and the business aspect of hospitality so yeah a huge huge amount of respect for him and he seems to walk that line really well around you know being a people business and looking after the, the customers and the teams on equal measure so so on a professional level you know probably him but actually you know on, my, on a personal life journey you know, probably the the, the two years that I spent traveling, you know, the people that I met on that journey, I I left the UK thinking the world was a certain way and I came back knowing it was a certain way and and that thinking to knowing journey, you know, I, I thought most people were lovely and I thought, you know... Most people fundamentally, all they care about on planet Earth is you know who, who they're going to spend time with that day, uh you know what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, and, and where they're going to sleep that night, and that is hospitality. You know, like that's that's what we care about every day. Who am I going to spend time with? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Where am I going to sleep tonight? And if I've got to get from A to B, then you know maybe how I'm going to do that journey. And 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 vast. You know, amount of people on the world. You know, they're not interested in in politics or anger or hate. They're just interested in 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 love and genuine hospitality. Hospitality is a door opener. You know, I could I could rock up in a in a tiny little village in in northern kind of Laos or, or, or Vietnam, and there might be just you know sort of mud huts and there'd be no running water, um, but and, and very little food. But these villagers would open their doors to me. You know, and big smiles at their kids, and they'd invite me in and they would pour me some tea. And I learned more from the genuine warmth of conversation without language, of, of smiles and. T- touch and uh, and you know looking the glint and the laughter in people's eyes and, and and the banter and the fun I think I learned more from those people than, than anybody else or just just that you know we are on this planet for a very very short period of time and whilst we're here if we can break bread and we can drink wine and we can sit around together you know what an utter privilege it is to spend you know time with people in that environment so much more exciting than than sitting at a desk and staring at a computer all day and and, and tapping buttons you know that's not the point of, of humanity so yeah I learned from the people that I spent spent. spent time with on the road and a a couple of professionals
0: Uh, i love that you already mentioned danny meyer's book setting the table is there any other books you would say people have to read out there to uh, (laughs) get inspired from
1: yeah so you
0: know what i've got
1: i've got a few but if i look at my sort of most most gifted or most recommended books you know i've got a few and they're, they're very different but but complimentary i suppose if if i start with a with a fiction book then um, there's a book called Shantaram i don't know if you've ever heard of it, Shantaram by by Gregory David have you ever heard of that no no i never a, heard of that it's a, it's a big book i think i actually listened to it on audiobook and it was something like 40 hours but it's a fascinating book and it, and it's it's based in in india and it's just it, it will just remind if you've traveled at all or if you love traveling it'll just bring to life you know the descriptions of 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 life in the sort of backpacker hostels of, of india and it's uh yeah it's just it's just really cool so i really love it so i recommend that one um you know off the back of my own journey into into changing my diet and learning about diet there's a book called how not to die by dr Greger, all, all all about food fundamentally and, and and how food it comes down to the nutritional aspects of what we do and i think if you're a chef or you work in restaurants then you should read that because it's so easy to to, to tweak food and and make it more nutritionally dense for, for humans which i think is fundamentally key um there's a cool book called miracle morning by a chap called hal elrod yeah you read that one
0: yeah it's uh over there on the show is it
1: yeah. Um, I mean that one you know I, I'm, I'm a big believer in you know get up early seize the day do some exercise bit of meditation some journaling you know the biggest one for me you know around gratitude if you, if you wake up every single day or even just you know four or four days of the week or whatever if you write down three things you're grateful for it's really hard to be miserable. You know, it's really not it's really hard to to not leave the house inspired and energized every day. If there's one thing that I could encourage people to do, you know, some sort of journal, but just write down every morning or evening if that's your time of the day, whenever's best for you, but just write down three or four things that you're you're grateful for. And that might be where you live or your family or your business or the air that you breathe or something that you've done at the weekend or something that you're looking forward to. But if you do that, fundamental change to headspace and Hal elrod's book probably helped me to understand that. And then one more, Michael, if you don't mind indulging me but i've just finished literally just in the last few days a, a book called the shepherd's life by a chap called james uh, rebanks or rebanks um, and he's a farmer up in the lake district and the lake district is probably one of my favorite places i'm off to the lake district uh, week saturday uh, and i'll be there for for a couple of weeks and uh, i go there most years and if i didn't live in bournemouth i think i would live in in the lakes but um, his book is is all about you know this sort of the the tradition of uh herdwick sheep and the traditional farming that, that can be traced back fa- thousands of years in the lake district and and fascinating for me because i say about this sort of you know insatiable curiosity is this this juxtaposition between you know wanting to to, to eat and you know as much plants and, and it have an impact on the environment but also wanting to support traditional farming that really looked after the land and and, and what james talks about in his book is a is something that we could lose and I, I think the um i did a podcast with the lake district farmers who who supply amazing quality animals to some of the best restaurants around the country but you know particularly in london and and i struggle a little bit myself you know is they a place for for eating animals and I think there certainly is globally you know whether we need to do that in the UK we're very privileged in the fact that we don't need to but if we are going to do it let's at least support these sort of artisan traditional farmers who who love the land and and the history of of Britain but also care about animal welfare and ethics that's a really good book to just get you excited about, about the sort of farms that we should support and the sort of farms that we shouldn't.
0: Yeah, and it's very interesting. Another friend of mine just recommended that book a couple of weeks ago and uh, because we had this conversation about eating less but better. And it was around the meat conversation where I said, you know, I'm principled, not against meat. I just think we need to eat less and better. And not, there's just been an article recently, a couple of days ago in The Guardian about the supermarkets pushing, you know, cheap meat, which is not going to help with either climate change or the, the quality of health of, of people. Um, so it's not about not eating meat. It's actually about eating maybe less and better. You know, uh, like they in, when you, you've been traveling in the in East, in the East, they maybe eat meat in China and so on, but it's for the, the flavor. And you maybe have a very little piece of uh, pork for a whole week, uh, but it's very good quality.
1: Yeah. If, we, if we're really going to change the dial on this, you know, it's so important that we understand, which is, you know, what I've been trying to get my chef to understand is, you know, this isn't about getting a thousand people to go vegan. This is about getting a billion people. To eat less meat, you know, and there's a big difference. If you go to everybody and tell them, you know, they've got to be vegan, you know, vegans do a disservice probably to this genuine debate. Um, but the, the plant based movement, the flexitarian movement, and it needs to be, you know, significant. It, it can't be, okay, I'm, you know, there's going to be one lunchtime a week where I don't eat meat. You know, if we can get down to a couple of days where we do and five days where we don't, but just start somewhere. But like I say, let's to change the impact on the environment, we need to get a billion people to change their habits, not a thousand. And I think that's key.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's so spot on mark so uh is there any lessons that uh, this is a really interesting question i think for for you being in the business for 17 years with your own business is there any lessons the universe keep on putting in front of you uh,
1: <laughs> i don't know i think you know maybe the universe is you can probably tell from this conversation that i'm a, I'm a bit of a hippie and i'm a bit of a lover of humans i'm not sure if the universe tests me i think it regularly reminds me of of what i fundamentally think is important and like i say that that constant going from thinking to knowing i think is key you know as as i get older and wiser and i learn more it reinforces this you know life life is an adventure life is short you know ask ask the why of of what you're doing you know i i want to spend more time uh, you know, I, I love business. I love the success. I love the community that we create around business and, and financial independence. And success is brilliant, but it shouldn't be at the expense of you know time with your with your partner or time with your kids or time with your dog. Or you know, I, I was lucky enough last year to go and do the uh, tour Tour de Mont Blanc, which is a hundred and ten mile walk around the mountains in in Mont Blanc. I'm hoping to get to the Atlas Mountains in Morocco this year. I regularly go on quite long you know cycles and, and don't get me wrong this isn't because i'm some you know lucky git who who made loads of money but i just make sure that i carve time into my diary you know I, I have a calendar on the wall at home where the kids and i make sure that we put in a little mini adventure every month and it, it might be as simple as just a, a walk in the forest or it might be lucky enough that you know i went i went snowboarding with my son a few weeks ago but but it's remembering to to recognize that you know we are just here for a blink and an eye you know it, it's such a a nanosecond when you look at humanity's time on earth let alone earth itself so what the universe seems to do a very good job of reminding me is that you know if you're genuinely going to work in hospitality it's back to that authenticity as you know it means you must love life and you must love people because it's it's hardwired into you it's a reflex and that is around sitting around the table and breaking bread and drinking wine and having conversation and if you're going to do that with the authenticity in your business then i don't believe you can you can sacrifice your family or your friends or your, and i have done for periods don't get me wrong in the early days of growing the business but this comes back to that don't just keep grow 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 and sacrifice at some point you know do that get yourself into a position and then remember you're here for a very short period of time and for me life should be about adventure and adventure might be your work, that might be your adventure, but it very well might not be. So yeah, listen, listen, do a bit of meditation, write that gratitude journal, listen to what gets you excited, focus on the adventure, not on the cash.
0: Mm, very, very interesting, very, very interesting. I I agree with all of it. And uh, it, uh, I think it's also when you... I think a lot of people have had these reflections in the pandemic. Now it's about taking ownership and making sure it happens in a way is there any advice you would give to other founders business leaders out there right now you think they should uh, think about implement into their businesses uh it's difficult to say isn't
1: it i mean if, if i speak to people who are just coming into the industry
0: i'm always like that you know
1: <laughs> you can't unfortunately just be passionate about your your product you absolutely have to be you have to have found a product an idea and a niche or something that really excites you. Actually, I'm really excited by, you talk about a change in the hospitality sector. But if you look at the street food sort of concept or these shared space, you know, the the, the street feast or the uh, Mercato Metropolitano or Curb or these kind of places that are facilitating people who can't afford to set up a restaurant to go and try a concept and try a product, that's really exciting. You know, the barriers to entry are potentially less for people to try their, their niche and their idea. And that's great. I would just say, look, you know, you do unfortunately really have to know your numbers. You know, the failure rate in hospitality is huge. You know, spend some time getting your head around. And it, it, if you're running a hospital, hospitality business and you don't get you know at the very least a monthly you know profit and loss account you know then then please do but ideally get it weekly or if not daily because it's tiny margins and it's going to get even harder in the next sort of few months and you've got to be tracking that you know really daily to know exactly what's going on if you want to succeed so it's it feels like a bit of a boring and a bit of a grown-up answer but I would just say yeah get, get yourself some good financial advice and then go and practice first don't don't start with a 200 seater sort of you know dream dream restaurant go and practice by renting a container in uh, in a in a street food kind of place and, and and find out what the customer loves about you and if you really really love looking after people because it's um it's a it's a privilege like i say to work in this sector but it is hard work and it is antisocial hours
0: yeah and uh, you need to know your numbers i totally agree with you because if you don't make profit you're not going to stay around for long and then you can't make all the good things you want to change so it comes with the territory
1: yeah people think it's mercenary sometimes to you know look at the numbers and be focused on the cash and all that kind of stuff but you have to say look you need the cash to do the fun stuff and the important stuff and it's no good just being a bit of a hippie and going look it's not money's not important it's not about the money it's about love so you've got to have the money to do all the cool stuff so uh yeah
0: Yeah, I uh, totally agree. So um, Mark, uh, if there's any questions uh, you wished I've asked, but I didn't, uh, what would that be? And what would you answer?
1: No, I don't think so. No, I mean, you know, one of, one of the favorite questions that I ask people or they get asked is, you know, is, is what does success look like? And, and I think we've 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 touched on that. You know, what success looks like to me is, is a balance and it's adventure. But it's just one of those key questions that, you know, other people should ask themselves is, you know, what, is, what does success look like? to you and spend some time thinking about that and don't spend some time thinking about it whilst you know surfing the internet go go for a walk in the forest in the woods go and walk your dog go and spend some time on the beach and just question yourself you know and say right okay what is what is success but um, I think we've covered it Michael and I've I've really enjoyed uh, chatting to you so thank you so much for uh, finally giving me the opportunity.
0: Great, Mark. I really loved this conversation, and uh we will. We, I will make my way to Bournemouth. Uh, I promise you. I promised you that earlier, but I will make it happen this think year. Of, think of how
1: long we could talk with a cold beer overlooking the beach, Michael.
0: My goodness. Oh yeah, you know, we'll, we'll uh, sol- a few spare batteries. <laughs> we will. We will. We'll, we'll solve the world. You know. Uh, where where can people find you, Uh Mark, if they they can they can jump jump on the train or in the car and go to Bournemouth and stay for a couple of days of course that would yeah, be lovely that would uh, be perfect
1: yeah yeah come down to Bournemouth um, you know the website for the business is urbanguild.co.uk and that, that links through to our few venues so we've got a little hotel we've got a, a cool restaurant on the beach and we've got a pretty significantly sized place right in the heart of the town centre in Bournemouth and it's a cool place to visit but if you can't come physically then digitally I'm not actually particularly good on social but I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter and uh, my handle as i think the cool kids call it, it's just mark crib so m-a-r-k-c-r-i-double-b it's the same on both and uh, yeah message me i may not be overly efficient at getting back to you but um i will do my very best
0: yeah, and check out Mark's uh, amazing podcast, even though it's idle, there's some great relevant conversation in there uh, about the industry, Humans of Hospitality, I would really recommend you that as well. Yeah, that'd
1: be amazing. Yeah, humansofhospitality.co.uk, you know, really rewarding to see that people are
0: still downloading that and listening
1: to it on a weekly basis. And, and there's some great learning in there and much of it. Some of the COVID stuff might be a little bit dated, but a lot of the conversations are still relevant. So yeah, have a listen and, and hopefully I'll get that back on the air uh, once life is a little bit more under control, but it's certainly not going to be in the next Couple of months michael while we ramp up for summer
0: good good i'll send you and the team and uh, everybody around you uh, power love and energy for for the time ahead and uh, thank you so much for coming on the show mark real pleasure thank you so much thank you mark for your deep dive into how you are navigating a new paradigm of hospitality as an independent operator you should now sit down and reflect over how can i make sure that my business has built a strong and authentic connection with my local community to get further inspiration on how to build a strong and authentic connection with your community tune in to episode number 13 and 14 staying true to mushroom with carl jones if you enjoyed today's conversation please share rate review or subscribe to one of our channels which now all can be done by our new website at hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on the social, at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly at advice@bizsimply.com. at A big thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor from the podcast collective, Tune in next time for another interview, and in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and more Maverick Insights at hospitalitymavericks.com. Don't worry, if you didn't go to all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tinkser and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick!